0: where we left off last week we were talking about the 13th chapter of Matthew there are seven parables in the 13th chapter of Matthew 19 times the word here is used in this important chapter because in it perhaps the profoundest of all of the parables that Jesus ever spoke is the parable of the sower because that shows the response to the word of God That's the one with which he begins uh, this chapter and in which he speaks to uh, his disciples about the sowing of the seed, uh, which is the word of God. It's very important to remember that the seed is always the same. The seed is the word of God. The sower is Jesus himself, the sower of the word of God. Uh, The difference the variable comes in the response of the four types of soil. Those four types of soil are present every Sunday morning or every time the gospel is preached, every time the word of God is put forth. Uh, One type is called wayside soil, which is hard. It holds the seed aloof. It does not take it into into the ground. It does not bear fruit. And the birds of the air, which are symbolic of evil, Uh, come and steal away that seed so that it never produces anything. Uh, It's cynical, it's hard, it's hurt it all, and you cannot tell it anything. That needs to be broken up and softened in order to be reached. The second type of soil is probably the one most familiar in America today. It's shallow and superficial. We have never had so many people claiming so many different kinds of commitments, but most of those commitments are... Are trivial, superficial, and uh, uh, are not deep. And therefore, when the sun bears down, which uh, represents tribulation or persecution, they wither away because they have no deep root system. There are people who do not want to cultivate a deep root system. They're afraid of a deep root system as far as their wife or their children are concerned, because that means obligations and love that is vulnerable and costly. They prefer to keep people at arm's length, like riders on an airplane who chat with each other until they get to the terminal and then won't speak to each other on the bus riding into town. Uh, it's superficial commitment, uh, and this is, I think, probably the one most prevalent today in American Christianity. The third is the seed which is sown among competing people. Uh, uh, Weeds and thorns, they compete for the uh, growth and choke out the good growth and uh, do not produce anything. Choked by both the riches, uh, which represents affluence, such as we know in the West, and uh, also uh, cares, uh, which uh, have to do with the worry that comes with how to get what we need to live with and this hits both rich and poor, and they bring forth no fruit. But then he says that on the good soil, uh, they bring some 30, some 60, and some 100-fold. And then, after that, we got into the main parable of last week, which is an explanation for the fact of evil. Why is it that after 2,000 years, of the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ, uh, that uh, really so few people take it seriously. And those who do take it seriously vary so much in their commitments. That's why he spoke this parable about hearing and listening to the word of God. And then he knew that uh, there every time the Lord God's seed falls upon a receptive heart and that person commits his or her life to the Lord Jesus and his kingly reign as Bonhoeffer called it uh, his rule over that person's life is evident the enemy comes and he comes and sows uh, tears false believers he can't root out the word once it's sown in the heart Uh, he cannot destroy a believer no man can pluck them out of my hand," said Jesus Well, what he can do is to put a false Christian uh, into that group. And as you read the Bible, you will see that opposition occur. You will have false uh, believers. Uh, You will have a false church. You can read all about it in Revelation 2. You will have a false gospel, a false righteousness that you can read about in Romans 10. At the end of time, you will even have a false Christ, an antichrist who comes. And so opposition is there. And now sandwiched in between the parable of the soils and the sower and then the, and in the uh, parable of the enemy that comes and sows the falseness, uh, comes these two little parables that are our study this morning. He presented another parable to them saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed uh, which a man took and sowed in his field and this is smaller than all other seeds but when it is full grown it is larger than the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. He spoke another parable to them the kingdom of Heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three pecks of meal until it was all leaven. Amen. May God bless to our hearts this part of His word, and now let me... He that sows the good seed is the son of man, Christ is the sower. The field is the world, the good seed are the children of the kingdom. The believers who have responded to that word, the tares are the children of the wicked one, the false. And Jesus Christ gives them the fearful title of sons of the evil one. And uh, they are related spiritually to the devil, the enemy who comes under the cloak of darkness to set up his kingdom. The enemy that sowed these tares is the devil. But if you observe the parable which we saw of the tares, he does this while men slept. I brought to the pulpit today one of our elders, Dr. L. Nelson Bell, wrote a book in which he sought to explain some of the defections in the church from real commitment to Christ from belief in his word, from a real walk after God to a falseness. And he attributes it uh, to the same thing the Lord Jesus does here. While men slept, an enemy came and he sowed these evil seeds, which we have seen spring up in so many different directions. The tares are not evident. That is, these weeds do not become evident as false wheat until it's too late to pull them up without doing damage to the wheat. And this is what causes the servants to be afraid. Uh, And they come to their master and say, didn't you sow good seed? And uh, we're surprised now that we see this uh, stuff that looks like real wheat, which is not. But he counsels them to remember patience. He says to be patient. That I did not promise you ideal growing conditions. This is why, in our own time, such things as Alexander Solzhenitsyn's From Under the Rubble has told us that in even Soviet Russia, there are real disciples of Jesus Christ who have suffered tremendously for their faith in Him. It's not a luxurious faith, it's a Spartan. Uh, faith, which has many enemies, but yet that seed can compete because it is the word of God and it will not be choked out. And we have, of course, seen the same thing true in China as well. There were many people who thought that when the Communists conquered the mainland of China, that all Christianity would be extinct. But Christians have suffered through terrible things before. And it may well be that it will take some persecution in America uh, before we come to the type of strong uh, Christian commitment which we need, which does not brook excuses, uh, but uh, which lives out its commitment to the lordship of Christ. Uh, He explains this, Christ does, by saying that an enemy has done it. But he tells them to bide their time, that harvest is coming, and harvest is always the end of the world, and the reapers are the angels. We do not have enough knowledge to always judge. Uh, this does not speak of the local assembly of believers, but of the, of the whole scheme of things. But the reapers will come at the end, and when they do, the angels will know. And then this parable of judgment, which so many people have tried to explain away, uh, tells us that God will come. And when he does come, he will judge with a fierceness uh, that is very great indeed. The message of judgment is one which is lacking today. And the new preachers of judgment are the scientists and the doctors who speak to us of nuclear weeds uh, that have come up and the destruction that may be brought upon us from there. And so the Lord Jesus, having spoken of the opposition to his kingdom, And looking into the faces of his disciples, tells them the story about the mustard seed. A mustard seed is a tiny little thing. Uh, The smallest of seeds it was referred to then. Now he is speaking here of seeds as against big herbs, if you want to be technical about it. There were smaller seed and there were bigger trees. Uh, But uh, this is a, uh, a metaphor which he is using regarding seeds and herbs. And he says this tiny seed, which is so incredibly small and looks so doomed to failure, will produce a great tree, and into that tree will come birds that will lodge, and uh, there will be an outward growth. And then he speaks of leaven that a woman hides in three measures of meal, which would be the normal amount of Uh, stuff that she would bake for that day, bread for that day. And that from this, uh, the yeast, uh, they didn't have fleshman's yeast, but the starter, like sourdough bread is started, which she had kept over from some other meal, will be placed in this and that it will begin its own work and that work will be carried uh, out to its completion. Uh, I believe that this parable, one of the teachings of this parable, and it has more than one meaning, uh, is that our Lord is showing us the value of little things. Jesus had his eye on a cup of cold water that was given in his name. Jesus made a man know that he was responsible if he had only one talent. He made a whole group of wealthy people terribly miserable when he saw a poor widow come up and cast two tiny little mites, the thinnest little piece of money into the coffers of the treasury. And then he sees this mustard seed. True judgment will always ask not only how big is this, but how big is it growing to grow? Where will it end? What is the significance And what are the possibilities that are stored up within it? Uh, We see this again and again. Uh, When we look at our children, when we see the possibilities of young lives that are taught, that's why these family films are very important today. We have an onslaught against Christian values that exist in television. If you saw the news this week, you saw that in Boise, Idaho, A 17-year-old boy who was put in jail because of a traffic violation was stomped beyond recognition and to death by four other 17-year-olds who were in in jail with him. Something terrible has happened to us in that we have lost a sense of shock because we are uh, in a brutalized society. Well, Jesus is telling us that his people may be small in number, but their influence will grow. He is telling us not to lose heart. He is telling us to keep up our work, to keep up our faithfulness to him. Paul says, uh, Apollos has sown uh, and God uh, gives the increase. Uh, One sows, another waters, but God alone gives the increase. And so we can remember that. God is faithful, and he will give the increase. And then sometimes we need to stop and to think about the irony with which God works. Uh, I was thinking the other day of the fact that Jesus was born in a stable. Here, God is at work. The wise men who traveled from the east must have wondered really if that star was leading them to the right place. You remember they went first to Herod's palace, trying to find out where this new king was to be born. And Herod was put much at his discomfort when he found out that a competitor king was arising. He called a hasty meeting of the Senate to see what was going on and to find out from his people uh, where the Messiah was to be born. And then these wise men left that place and they went to a stable. And I've often told our people at Christmas time that if Herod had his CIA following uh, after these wise men, as he probably did, they came back with a report to him, uh, Sire, you have nothing to worry about. Do you know what we found? We found a little tiny girl, 15 or 16 years old. And we found a man who is evidently a carpenter from Nazareth. They had so little money they couldn't even buy a place in the inn to sleep. But that baby that they claim is going to be king was born and placed in a stable. Where there were animals, and oh, the place was filthy, because the inn was full of people, and they all got there on camels and they got there on donkeys and, and oxen, and, and it was awful mess. You don't have anything to worry about. But you see what God does? God can take that tiny little infant that is born there, who is his own son, who was conceived of the Holy Spirit, we said this morning and born of the Virgin Mary and who is God incarnate and let no preacher, no theologian destroy your faith in the miracle birth of our blessed Savior because he is uniquely the Son of God. There's been no other birth like it and there never will be. He has come into the world in an unusual manner to invade this planet. Last uh, year, or year before last, I recommended to our congregation the reading of Sheldon Van Auken's book, A Severe Mercy, which won many prizes uh, and has sold many, many hundreds of thousands of copies. This remarkable book of how a brilliant English teacher who was doing an advanced degree at Oxford in England, came into contact with C.S. Lewis. And he was himself, this this man, Sheldon Ben Aukin, an atheist. And yet during World War II, he had made a promise one night when he saw the mast of the ship making the, the, the shadow of a cross upon the water. Someday he had promised himself to investigate the claims of Christianity. And then he had put that all aside and was just a complete atheist. Then when he got to Oxford, he met some Christians who challenged him, his atheism. And as a result of this, he wound up one day in the crowded streets of Oxford, and anyone who's ever been there knows how crowded it can be. And he looked up and saw the top of one of the churches, and there was a cross. And somehow there was a flashback in his mind to that silhouette that the moon had caused the shadow to be cast upon the water. And he remembered that he had promised himself one day that he would investigate the claims of Christianity. And so he goes into Blackwell's bookstore and he loaded himself up with books by C.S. Lewis, the Oxford Don, who was a famous Christian. And Lewis, most famous book perhaps is Mere Christianity, Mere Christianity. Only Lewis would have enough gumption to call a book by that name, Mere Christianity. Christianity. And he started reading the book, and this challenged him. And he began to think, and he wrote Lewis a letter, and to his utter astonishment, within just a couple of days, he got a handwritten letter back from C.S. Lewis, going down the list and answering some of his objections to belief in Jesus Christ as the Son of God. And it was interesting to me that his most powerful objection to the reign of Christ as God in his life came from the fact that it was all so small. And that's what he wrote to Lewis. I won't use his curse word that he used in the, uh, the letter, but he swore and he said, but it's just too small. How could it be That a little baby born in Bethlehem could be the God of the whole universe incarnate. How could it be when Pulsar 5 is out there five million light years away from us? How could that baby so small be God incarnate, the creator of it all? And then finally, when he got to the place where he humbled himself, his wife became a believer first, and then Sheldon Van Auken became a believer. Then he began to see that this is the irony of it all, that God can do just as Jesus teaches here. He can take the tiny seed, like a mustard seed, and see it grow until there are believers now all over the world even in hostile and unfriendly places, such as we see in Russia or in China or in Cuba. And then Jesus says that it's the, the same principle is taught in the, the, the leaven that is hid in three measures of meal because it's going to expand. If you ever looked at leaven under a microscope, you would see it at work. And God is working his purposes out as year succeeds to year. And this is what Lewis was trying to point out. And this is what Jesus is pointing out in his teaching of the parable here. This is what he wants us to know. But he wants us to know, as Lewis wants to point out too, that you cannot be content with mere Christianity. Jesus says, give me all. And that's where the church really has botched it. I don't want so much of your time. I don't want so much of your money. I don't want so much of your work. I want you. If you preach that, most churches would be empty. I have not come to torment your natural self. That is your old life and your old way of living. I've come to kill it. That's what Jesus said. No half measures are any good. I don't want to cut off a branch here and there. I want to have the whole tree cut down, that old nature in you. I don't want to drill one tooth or crown it or fill it. I want it out. Hand over the whole natural self, all the desires which you think innocent as well as the ones you think wicked, the whole outfit. I'll give you a new self instead. In fact, I will give you myself. My own will will become your will. This is what Lewis says in Mere Christianity. And then in the screw tape letters, which I hope you'll read. You remember what they are. They are letters from a senior devil to his nephew, who is a junior devil. Uh, and he is giving him instructions on how to trip up uh, people who are likely to become Christians. And it's in, that is really a most instructive book. And the longer I live, the more instructive it becomes as I work in the church. Uh, he says, uh, uh, for instance, Let people annoy you in church. The woman with the big hat or the first person with the squeaky boots or the one chewing gum or some. Let them drive you away from church and say, well, I'll never go back there again. You see, this is the people who jump from one church to the other because uh, they're looking for a fresh experience. The devil does not want you to be a Christian at all. But if you are going to be a Christian, then at least the devil says, Let him be a Christian with some difference, with a coloring, and thus shift the emphasis over to the speciality. What we want, says the devil, is if men become Christians at all, it is to keep them in a state of mind that I call Christianity and. And then he wants an added ingredient, such as Christianity in crisis, Christianity in vegetarianism, Christianity and the new psychology or psychical research. Uh, That's come into vogue with the cults in the last few years. You know why he says the Christianity and? It's because we start putting the emphasis on the and instead of the Christianity. The devil continues saying this horror of the same old thing is one of the most valuable passions that we have produced in the human heart. You see that it's all so simple that Jesus died on the cross for the purpose of taking away my sin and that I should give myself absolutely and without question to his lordship. He says when we become bored with that, that this is an endless source of heresies in religion, it's a folly in counsel, It is the source of unfaithfulness in marriage and of inconstancy in friendship. Don't let them settle with the mustard seed of Christ. That's too small. However, in all that Jesus teaches us through the parable of the mustard seed, he teaches us that we have hope. All that we need is enough faith to trust in Jesus Christ. That's when he establishes a beachhead. Not being willing to settle with just the mustard seed is the source of most of the heresy in the Christian church. We can't understand it all at one time, but when we give all that we do know to as much of him as we do understand in a completely honest proposition, then he begins to take over in that remarkable way of his. Last... uh, Oh, sometime back in the winter, I went down to a foundation meeting in Florida. And uh, at that meeting, uh, Charles Colson of the Watergate fame, who became a tremendous Christian and is a tremendous Christian, was at the same uh, supper that I was at one night in a man's home. And because I had known a president at one time and he knew that I did, he came over and we got in one corner and we're talking about various things that you talk about when you've gone through experiences like that. And uh, uh, Colson really fascinated me by his genuineness. Uh, Sharp, 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 a very brilliant man. And you remember his conversion. He was reading Mere Christianity It had been given to him by Tom Phillips of the Raytheon Corporation. And uh, uh, Phillips had had an experience of conversion. He gave this book to Colson, And when Colson humbled himself and became a believer in the Lord Jesus, he gave everything he had to him. And then, of course, you know the experience that he went through in prison. We were talking about prayers that are answered. And I remember asking the question of him uh, when the judge was handing down the sentence in the courtroom, and you and your wife and all your Christian friends were there, were you praying that he would not send you to jail? And his wife almost blurted out at the same time he did, you bet we were. We were praying that he would not go to jail. And when the judge announced the sentence, he was almost struck dumb that here he had become a true believer in the Lord Jesus with everything that he had. And what does he get for it? He's going to jail. It didn't work out like he thought. But I said, if you had not gone to jail, would you be here tonight in this home and tomorrow morning would you be speaking to the 2,000 men who will be assembled at the prayer breakfast? And he said, not on your life. So you see how God took that strange, small beginning, and then worked it into something that was reaching many, many people? Well, he told another interesting thing. He said that when he learned that Christianity means a total commitment to Jesus Christ, that he had gone to speak or to be interviewed in a television studio. And he said, I noticed a very attractive Latin who was um, uh, seated, uh, he said he was lying stretched out uh, on a couch in blue jeans and a t-shirt, very attractive. And he said, we visited with each other. And during the course of the visitation, uh, he said, this man said to me, I recognize you and I know you were with Nixon. But he said, do you really believe that Jesus stuff? And Colson said, "I'd do with all my heart." And he said, "This man looked at him like he was crazy, a young, attractive boy. And he said, "I'd like to talk about it sometime. I wish I could believe it." He went out the door, and Colson said, "You can imagine my shock when two weeks later, I picked up a newspaper and saw that Freddie Prince of Chico and the man had blown his brains out. In a life of emptiness and desperation and despair, okay, what are you going to do with your life? Kill it? Jesus is saying, give it to me. And even though it be as small as a grain of mustard seed, even though it be as small as the little starter that's placed into the three measures of meal, it'll spread and it'll grow, and it will accomplish the purpose to which I have designated it. There there will be faults. there will be opposition to contend with, but I will work my purposes out, and when the harvest comes, that will be evident, and the bundling up process may be going on now, and then when God's judgment falls, then we'll know the truth. And we'll find out what a severe mercy is. This man found out that it took the death of his wife through cancer. For him to know that God had dealt him a severe mercy. For then he really humbled himself and let God be God. And Jesus Christ really be Lord in his life. Let us bow in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank Thee for these incredible parables that bring us face to face with the claims of Jesus Christ. We thank You, Lord, that this is the kind of parable that our Lord puts at the doorway, asking each of us how seriously we really are about hearing the truth and understanding the truth and obeying the truth. Lord, we thank Thee that this word is so good that it deserves to grow in our lives. Break through the hard shells if there are those of us here who are hardened. Clear out the clutter if there are those of us who are cluttered. But most of all, be willing to allow this good news that no matter how small our commitment to Thee may seem, that it's all that we have that we place at your disposal, and that when we give it all, that you will take it, and you will make it grow into what it ought to be. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God our Father, and the communion and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, our keeper and guide, be and abide with us all, now and forevermore.